to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 34 for March 16th, 2011. This is our continuation of the post-motion picture era, and uh, we will be reviewing today uh, Marvel issue number 12 and the ongoing comic strip, which is number 13. In saying that, uh, just jump right into it, you think? Let's do it, man. All right, so comic strip number 13, uh, this is not a titled one, so it's untitled, Uh, came out in July 18th, 1982 to September 4th, 1982. Uh, The writer is Charmin Devano, and the artist is Ron Harris with an assist from Thomas Wardkinton. Thomas Wardkinton is obviously the, the guy who did all the first ones. Our old friend, Thomas. Yeah. So this is actually the end of their uh, any of these guys' work on the comic strip. So starting next issue or next story arc, it's a different group of people. Hmm. So this is kind of end of an era right here. I, I wonder what the logic was behind all this change, this, this turnover. I guess maybe it's comic. But well, yeah, we'll you're keep doing, that for later. Yeah, you're cranking out a story a week, uh, a story a day. I guess you have to go through different people. Um, actually, what's what's odd is that, or not odd, but this is the last one where the last comic strip where we'll see the crew in their motion picture uniforms. So starting next ish, next strip, they're in their um, Wrath of Khan type uniforms. Uh-huh. Although it still takes place before the Wrath of Khan, so that's why we're still including it as the post motion picture era, um, regardless of the uniforms. Right, because it still takes place before sure. Rapcon. Sure. All right, so let's jump into it. Like I said, untitled comic strip number 13. So the Enterprise is returning to Earth from after relocating the BBBQ colony from the last story. Uh, the Enterprise crew is briefed upon its participation in the upcoming Starfleet race that is being planned to celebrate Admiral Nagoya's birthday. So the crew is preparing the ship for the race. Um, while they're doing that, Kirk is whining and dining Vera DeMarco, who is captain of the Starship Bold Venture. Um, seems that she and the good captain have a history uh, during their time at the Academy, and she has a reputation of doing anything to win. So she's very motivated. So the Admiral's grandson is the one putting this whole shindig together. His name is Kayoshi. So Kayoshi comes aboard the Enterprise, and he gives a quick recap of what the rules for the race are. Uh, There's several different classes of ships, so speed is not the only factor of this race. So the ships will leave Earth at a staggered schedule, depending on the max speed of that particular class. Uh, Enterprise being the best of the best will be the last ship to leave. Once the ships get to their first uh, checkpoint or destination, uh, the captains of those ships have a sealed envelope 
that they'll open and find out what their next destination or next hop on the race uh, circuit will be. So en route to the first checkpoint, Vera ends up cheating and opening up her orders early. Uh, back on the Enterprise, Kirk toys with the idea of cheating as well, but he ends up not doing so. Uh, when they do get to their checkpoint, he opens up his orders and finds out that they're supposed to go and get a Thorian blood rock from another um, star system. Doesn't quite say how far the star system is, but we'll assume it's a pretty good ways. So while all the ships are moving to their second stage, uh, the, the cadets that are running the race uh, are making a deal with some pirates uh, slash smugglers. Uh, to make the race a little bit more interesting. So these free traders, as they're called, end up turning on the cadets and actually kidnap them uh, in hopes to um, hold Kayoshi for ransom. And they plan to destroy or hijack the five starships that are participating in the race. The Rim Explorer, which is maybe the slowest ship of the five, uh, is attacked by is the first one to actually get attacked by the cloaked Free Raider ship. So these Free Raiders are pretty technologically advanced. So the Enterprise responds to the distress call, and then once they save the, the crew, they go back on their scavenger hunt, and they find out that the item they're looking for, that bloodstone, is actually a vital source of heat for a uh, civilized race on the planet that they're at. So Kirk is able to work out some sort of trade with the people instead of just stealing it outright. Um, so it's a, a moral test that he passes by using fair trade. Meanwhile, Vera has already completed her task, which was to kidnap a sentient uh, telepathic lizard. Uh, but as she's heading to Earth, she is feeling a little bit of remorse about kidnapping a sentient species. So she diverts her ship uh, so that she can speak to Kirk face to face uh, When she arrives to the Enterprise uh, sh The free traders ship is there As the free traders are trying to decide what to do The cadets break free And end up decloaking the raiders ship uh, The pirates make uh, some ransom demands for the cadets uh, But they're still planning on taking at least one of the Federation ships To sail to the Klingons Kirk and Vera both end up beaming themselves over to the raider's ship. Uh, Kirk uses the bloodstone to increase the temperature in the cargo hold, and the pirates, maybe a little stupidly, send crewmen down to investigate the spike in the temperature one by one. And so each time a pirate comes into the cargo hold, either Kirk or Vera knock them out and just wait around until the next guy comes to check it out. Uh, eventually, the captain himself comes down to check out the increased temperature. Uh, they're able to capture him, and once they have him captured, they continue the race, which is now just a race uh, for who can get to Earth faster. The Enterprise ends up uh, beating the Bold Venture, and... Vera suggests that uh, Kirk should buy the loser dinner, and thus ends this story arc. So, it is not my favorite story. Okay. It was a scavenger hunt, and... It was. It just, uh, I don't know. It turned out to be a lot more to it than that with those naive young cadets. 
Right, but still, it was a scavenger hunt. Yes, and it was. He, and even after it was a race. It was a race. And I even after it. one of the ships was destroyed. Yes. I mean, we're talking about a starship being destroyed. Uh-huh. They just go, okay, well, we saved as much as the crew as we can. Let's continue on the scavenger hunt, which seemed a little naive to me. I mean, that's I something thought after they're they... destroying you. Yeah, and I thought after they uh, rescued that crew, they were trying to find out what the heck was going on. I don't think they were just racing after that. No, they did, because that's when they went to the planet to get the bloodstone and found out that, oh, the this civilization needs the bloodstone to live. And then Scotty tries to do this wheeling and dealing, uh, you know, bartering thing with them. But, yeah, they, they spend maybe four or five panels on the aftermath of the the uh the was it what was the name of the ship uh, rim explorer being destroyed yeah you're probably right i'm i'm going back and just double checking it right but, uh and especially the captain of the rim explorer who looks like santa claus for no good reason i can figure that, yeah, he does look a lot like Santa Claus. I mean, a lot like Santa uh, Claus. But yeah, the, good, good, good point. They, they do continue on in the race. Yeah, and, and in fact, not only is it a tragic thing that the starship was destroyed, and and probably I'm assuming a few crewmen along with it. I would think so. Um, not only that as being a big mystery, but they chart, start planning the idea in Kirk's head that you know the the Rim Explorer might have picked up a sensor ghost of the bold venture and then Kirk starts thinking well is Vera that bloodthirsty that she would destroy a ship just to win I mean I didn't mention that in the synopsis but you know if you really thought that one of your other captains was destroying another Federation ship just to win a stupid race that you'd probably go ahead and stop the race and try to figure out what's really going on instead of just going let's go yeah and I didn't get that from it I got that from it that uh, he thought that Vera did not stop the helpful. I didn't get that that they thought that Vera actually blew up another starship. Uh, okay. All right. I guess I guess so. I didn't I I didn't look at it that way. I thought that they were trying to imply that she did it. Well, either way, it's not good. But if she actually, if they really thought she blew up another starship just to win a race, then you're right. I mean, she's like psychopath. That's yeah. Like, yeah, but, but but the fact that she didn't stop to help, even though apparently she did hear the distress call, um, that was bad too. And she and she admits that uh, later in the in the uh, in the storyline. Right. Anyways, I just yeah. Uh... oh yeah yeah. Any way you look at it, many of these stories, the comic strips particularly. Uh, well, actually, the worst offender is usually the gold key comics uh, when we do those. But uh, the comic strips, I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, that are sub are not great as far as storyline and things making 100% sense. Right, um, and, a, and a little bit of that, especially with the comic strip, is the choppy nature in which it's being presented, right? right. You're being given two to four panels a day. Uh, so the storytelling is a little choppy, but yeah. it does seem like... Another thing that they just drop all together is that Vera cheated. She opened up oh, yeah. orders before she got to the first checkpoint. Oh yeah. That's never mentioned again. And I thought that that was going to be 
some sort of factor in the story later on, but but they never mention it. Yeah, and, and I really think her cheating in that case was totally or overshadowed by her not coming to the call of a, of a fellow starship that that had an SOS. Right, and I'll be I, honest I think with that you, totally I, was overshadowed. I missed, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I missed I missed that she actually admitted to getting the SOS. Oh yeah. And that's that's why uh, later in the story she was um, she was remor- she was remorseful about it, and then okay. tried to make good. See, I thought but... she was feeling remorseful about kidnapping that sentient little dude. Oh, I don't. Maybe she had that too going on, but <laughs> I I think she I think she said she, she they had heard the distress call and they didn't do anything about it. But I I totally missed that part. Yeah. 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 So I get Santa Claus telling me that he thought that they picked up a sensor ghost, and then, yeah, Kirk says Vera DeMarco didn't acknowledge your call for help. Yep. I didn't. I don't remember anything else after that. Okay. All right. Maybe I was just reading too much into it. All right. So, um, is this the same ship? This bold venture. Is this the same one that? Was on the planet with the uh, the little guys that took over the two ships, and they became no. slaves. That was just the venture, and it was an old Constitution class ship. I thought, yeah, it was. And this one's the bold venture, which, quite frankly, bold venture, enterprise, you know, kind of similar, um, naming wise. Uh, but but th- this ship is totally different. It's a, it's a single nacelle in a very interesting way. Uh, saucer, you know, it's got the saucer section and a, a single uh, nacelle uh, ship. It's got a very odd configuration, very different from her previous ship. Now, was that Vera DeMarco in that one? I think that was. I think that was the same character. That was the part I wasn't sure about. I I think it was the same character. If it isn't, then I think they. Uh... <laughs> Uh, they're they're retreading a similar idea with different characters, and they both have very strangely close uh, sounding ships, the venture and then the bold venture. Right. So I assume that it was the same captain, and she had gotten a new ship, a more modern ship. Um, although obviously uh, a single nacelle ship wouldn't be as fast, even probably as an old Constitution class. But who knows? That woman's name was... Yeah, they were all trapped on the planet for months. Right, and there was all those people got killed. Because the Ferengi kind of... Yep, because these Ferengi guys kind of took over. Yeah, it was the last Warnkinton one, or... So which episode? Issue number six. Uh, Issue six. Yeah, this is it. And captain of the venture there is... Avery. Captain Avery. So this is a different Ah. woman and a different ship. Ah, uh, yes, the venture, as opposed to the bold venture. Right. Yes. Okay. But they no, are different uh, captains. Yeah. So no, They're when both... you said when you said that, I was like, oh man, that was the right same same lady, but it's not. So sorry. Good point. Good point. Both brunettes, both cute, both with a history with Kirk, both with a ship called Venture, one bold venture. Right. Yeah. But in regards to the 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 Starship class, did you not think that it looked a lot like the Kelvin from Star Trek 11? The uh, no. bold venture? Not really. 
But isn't that kind of what the I mean, isn't that what it looks like with the saucer section and then the one nacelle kind of underneath it? Uh, and an engineering section above it. And the engine on the Kelvin is swept back, uh, oriented back behind the saucer section. Uh, this Venture has no engineering section, and it has the engine, well, mostly like out in front of the saucer section. It, it kind of reminded me of like a, like, like a drag racer or something. So, yes, in ways, it's like the Calvin. Um, in ways, it isn't. <laughs> All right. Okay, yeah, that's right, because the Kelvin had engineering on top and one nacelle on bottom. Okay, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Sorry. I was No, they, they have similarities. Right. But anyways, it has one nacelle. I, I, when they were talking about doing a race, I was like, there's no way that one nacelle ship could outrun the Enterprise. Oh, sure. And then the smaller ships, including, what, the Rim Explorer or something? Right. Some of them were rather small. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, of course, they said that towards the beginning of the comic. Yeah. Uh, quite a different variety of ships that were involved in it, so there had to be more to it than just speed. Right. And, indeed, there was. The whole thing was a uh, sociological experiment. <laughs> Which Kirk's the only one that passed. Oh, and Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> Santa Claus had no choice. He was blown out of the sky. I wish they would have drawn his ship with little reindeer pulling it. That would have been awesome. <laughs> now, good. we got a lot of shots of the registration number of the Venture being uh-huh. NCC-2013, okay. which I thought was odd because, I mean, the Excelsior is NCC-2000. So I would assume, don't they go in or in numerical order? You'd think so. So, I mean, that was just a nitpick. Obviously, this came out way before the Excelsior showed up in Star Trek Three. but... Excuse me, sir, but I think the registration number's a bit out of order. Hey, at least I didn't say that actually NCC-2013 <laughs> is actually the registration for the USS Royal Oak, which is an Excelsior-class battleship. Now, did I say oh, that? Oh, did, did you look that up someplace? Of course I did. <laughs> now, did I mention that the Royal Oak was in service from start date uh, no, no, two three zero one two? Huh? Royal Oak. What was that in like some novel thing or something? Uh, it was actually in the uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation Officer's Manual. Oh, God. <laughs> that, what? 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 It's, some some book somebody published? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it was a. Pocket book, or no, it was probably a, a reference to the uh, role playing game. Right. Uh, I don't remember who did that. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I just looked up the registration to see if it matched up to anything. Matched that's, up to anything. That's what it matched up to. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> okay. This is, that's the last thing I had about the, uh, this, uh, scavenger hunt story. Yeah. Last thing I had to say is I thought the, uh, I thought the captain of the pirate ship uh, had a had a kind of I, I kind of liked the alien head he had. I thought it was kind of creative and he looked kind of menacing and I thought it was good. He had a, like an overbite or something, right? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Really, I, I remember his overbite. I, overbite? I don't. Did he have an overbite? I don't know. I thought that he had a very pronounced. Oh, upper, upper lip. lip? Yeah. He does have a. He. I'm looking at it. He, he has. He has an almost like ape-like kind of uh, large upper lip. Yes. Yeah. He and he's got like like Vulcan kind of sharp 
ears, he looks a little bit like a, uh, I don't know. He looks a lot like the Submariner with the, uh, yeah. yes, the, <laughs> the, the, like, widow's peak hairline. Exactly. Vulcan ears, and then he yeah. has, like, a, a weird ape lip, like you said. And he usually doesn't wear a shirt. Well, dude, when you're, when you're, uh, when you look like that, you don't have to wear a shirt. <laughs> you prefer not to, in fact, because the ladies like it. Okay. <laughs> That's all I have to say. All right. So, going on to the next one. Please, this is uh, this is the Marvel one, right? Exactly. So, this is Marvel Star Trek issue number twelve, and the title is Eclipse of Reason. Published date is March 1981. The creative team <clears throat> includes a plotter, Alan Bennert. Uh, scripter is Martin Pascoe. Artist is, or artists, are Luke McDonald and Tom Palmer. Colors are by Carl Gafford. Letterer is Joe Rosen. Editor, Luis Jones. Editor-in-chief, Jim. Straight shooter. All right. The cover shows Spock, Kirk, and Janice Rand surrounding a clear pyramid with a glowing sphere inside of it. They are all clasping their heads in pain as a huge menacing figure has his open arms around them. The issue's catch tag is, um, trapped on a starship gone mad. The action opens with Kirk and the recently promoted Lieutenant Commander Janice Rand on each side of the Caden of Phaeton, who we are surprised to learn is Rand's husband. Not only was her recent marriage a surprise, but the groom is an incorporeal being that is housed in a clear pyramid that is on a glowing disc with metal legs attached. Not much hand-holding going on in that marriage. The captain's log explains that a great day for the Federation has arrived as the launch of the Icarus approaches. The Icarus will be the first manned extragalactic probe launched by the Federation. Kirk, McCoy, and others are aboard the Icarus making final preparations for the warp out. Kirk speaks to the recently promoted Lieutenant Commander Janice Rand, his former yeoman, and perhaps more. Janice will be the sole human aboard the Icarus that will be manned by a crew of Phaetonians during its 1,000-year round trip to a neighboring galaxy. Due to their long 4,000-year lifespans and experience as space explorers, Phaetonians are ideally suited to such a long trip. However, uh, uh, however, Rand will be along for such a long trip, which is very odd. It helps that Rand's husband will be the Phaetonian commander of the Icarus, but still to live, live the rest of her life on the Icarus and die there. Rand is in love with her new husband, and her never-launched romance with Kirk was difficult when she was a young yeoman. Now that she is a more mature officer, she wants to help the Phaetonians to adapt to the human ship and be of use on such a historic mission. The crew expresses their concerns over one of their own, and so does Kirk. Rand assures him it's what she wants and to do uh, 
and eventually he comes to accept it. The Icarus warps out to the barrier at the edge of our galaxy, and the Enterprise sets course for the Duran system. At the edge of the galaxy, the Icarus the Icarus's contact with the infamous energy barrier wreaks havoc on the ship and crew. The ship is deflected back into the Milky Way. Rand is put through intense pain and ends up with telepathic powers. Kadan and the other Phaetonians have fared far worse, since contact with the barrier has driven them stark raving mad. For kicks, they use the ship's phasers to destroy a nearby freighter. Rand realizes she has to do something to stop them. Meanwhile, back on the Enterprise, Spock collapses in pain on the bridge. Rand ends up using her newfound telepathic powers to tell Spock what happened on the Icarus. They cancel their time in the Duran system and race to intercept the Icarus. When the Enterprise intercepts the Icarus, it is heading into a white hole, which is a gravitational vortex opening up into another dimension. The Enterprise follows. In the other dimension, they shoot at the elusive Icarus, with their phasers hoping to punch a hole in their shields long enough to get Rand beamed out. At first they are unsuccessful, but they manage to talk to Rand, who tells them that the Phaetonians are homesick, and like Salmon, feel an irrational need to get back to their home planet. The problem is they intend to land the Icarus on the planet, but since starships don't land yet, they will just crash into their home planet and trigger explosions that will kill millions. They decide the new priority is to get control of the Icarus back from the Phaetonians. So they beam over their most senior officers onto the Icarus at high warp to rescue Ran and stop the Icarus. The landing party successfully arrives in the Icarus, and after lots of challenges, including a robotic sparring partner and other killer exercise equipment, they find Ran Rand and make their move to take back the ship. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Scotty tells the crew they might have to fly the Enterprise into the Icarus, Icarus to stop it from hitting the Phaeton and killing millions. Everyone is very sad. Spock and Rand use their combined telepathic powers on a mind meld with Captain Caden. Finally, it works, and Caden's sanity is at least temporarily restored long enough to alter the course of the Icarus and avoid hitting uh, Phaeton and the oncoming Enterprise. At Starbase K-12, Rand is recovering from her temporary telepathic abilities and ready to return to being the Enterprise's transporter's chief. The Phaetonians continue to require extensive psychotherapy. So it's annulment time for Rand and Caden. The story ends with the cute-as-a-button Rand, happy to help to save millions of the Phaetoni- millions of Phaetonian lives. The end. So it's nice to know that the infamous Star Trek reset button has made its way into the comic books as well. <laughs> yes. So you can, you can come up with whatever you want to for your crew during your 60-minute episode or your 22-page comic book. But on that last page or that last minute of the show, you better be right where you started from. (laughs) Exactly. 
So and some pretty extreme things happen in this uh, episode. Yeah, she gets married, she gets promoted, she gets transferred to another ship, but by the time the last yeah, page, she... <laughs> she's all back to normal. <laughs> she she gets telepathic powers. Uh huh. Yeah. And they just 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 kind of wear off, and her eyes don't turn all sparkly, and she doesn't do a, uh, you know, a take over the uh, the universe kind of thing. You know that that was Gary Marshall, right? No, it was Gary. Uh, what was his last name? Uh, not Seven. Uh, <laughs> Gary Mitchell. Mitchell, Mitchell. Mitchell. I said Marshall. Yeah. And also uh, Daner, Doctor Daner, also went that way. Right. So uh. so you got to ask yourself. Why do they keep on going through this fracking barrier at the edge of the universe or a galaxy, uh, thinking that you thinking everything's gonna be okay, and every time something really bad happens? Well, I mean, you you got got to see what's on the other side. I know, but they keep doing this. <laughs> I mean, even Kirk did it. I mean, didn't wouldn't wouldn't it make sense for Kirk at least to say, you know, you might want to be careful around the barrier. Uh, well, he he didn't go into the barrier, and they thought that they had enough safeguards on this Federation Constitution class ship to not make people go crazy. Uh, I, I guess I guess they were really wrong too. Yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I had a, a problem with the Phaetonians are little blobs of energy inside of a triangle. Like yeah, one of those, thing. yeah, yeah, one of those yeah. like new age pyramids <laughs> things that's supposed to you put on your head and you'll get good vibes or whatever. Exactly, whatever the heck it's supposed to do. But be in harmony with the universe, right? So these guys don't have arms, they don't have legs. They're not really telepathic. They're more empathic kind of things. But they're put on a Federation ship that's made for physical People. touching. Mm-hmm. So if these people really are spacefaring people, why would they not take one of their own ships? That I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, I, I didn't understand that part, and, and the whole reason. I guess they had to do it because Rand had to have a reason to be there. She's there exactly. so that they can use her until they're able to manipulate the ship themselves. Exactly, but, and, and it's funny because their the legs, their tripod legs, really look like tripods, like. Old-fashioned camera tripods. Uh, I mean, right down to the point where at the bottom, uh, it has little 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 screw adjusters, you know, just to get it just just even uh, on these these tripod legs that they that they apparently land at some point because they they're normally levitating. Yeah, they can float. Yeah, yeah, kind of weird. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. Uh... Yeah. yeah, and they don't seem to be using the tripod legs like hands to to press buttons or anything. I don't, I didn't notice it. No, I don't think so either. Hmm. Yeah, and before the Enterprise took off, you noticed that all the crew was on the Icarus, and somehow the little guys were absorbing the knowledge from the Starfleet crew so that they would know how to manipulate the ship, yep. which I thought was odd. That, you know, Scotty really was letting somebody read his mind so that the little blob thing could be as good as an engineer as he is. Oh, they were they were reading their minds. Well, that's that's what oh, I, I didn't thought. Get that. Or you think they were just getting trained? Uh, that's what I thought. But you might be you might be right. But I thought they couldn't read minds. They read. You know, yeah, I don't know. It was kind of ambiguous. Know. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't care for that part, and I didn't really like the little. I hate Star Trek's mantra that eventually people will evolve into oh. blobs of energy type thing. That that's right. that's how evolution's going to work. Right. I think no matter what we evolve into, I'm pretty sure we're going we're going to have physical bodies. <laughs> Um, But, I mean, but Star Trek does that a lot. And every time they do it, I roll my eyes going, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you keep telling us this? Because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I don't know. Anyways, but I did like the, I mean, there was one page of the story that I thought was really good. And that's page five, where it's Hmm, Kirk and Rand having their little heart-to-heart before they take off. Right, and they kind of allude to maybe that there was some sort of uh, feelings that she had for him back in season one of the original <laughs> series. Right, and you know and that they're she, really close to each other. Right, and she explains where she's been. You know where she went from the first season of Star Trek to the time Star Trek the motion picture happens. That she went off to better herself and to get away from Kirk, kind of thing. I thought that was awesome. I was like, that's an awesome explanation as to why she was no longer on the show after season one. Yep. Uh, and then like, then they kind of, the rest of the story I thought ruined that. <laughs> that was the highlight for me that were there. Yeah. The rest Especially of- when there's such intensity. Silly. Like Kirk saying, but you're a woman. You have needs. You know, this is a kid's book. So what needs was she talking about? Candy, I guess. I Back don't know. rubs, I don't know. Handshakes. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Reese's bars, Reese's cups. I don't know. Yeah. Um, another thing I thought. Well, okay. Before talk, yeah, that 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 was a pretty. Though th- th- that was a good page. So they they had some good stuff going on in there. It was like real adult stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, not 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 in a you know a seamy kind of sexual way necessarily. Oh, uh, yeah. I thought that was like. Uh, you know, people relating to each other, you know, human interaction. Right, and actually acknowledging that these two, you know, we knew that we've seen them know each other in season one, but there's this huge gap where we don't know what happened to Rand until she shows up in Star Trek The Motion Picture. And here they are, Marvel, trying to explain what happened. And it's, I think it works. I really liked it. I like the idea that she went off to better herself and to, you know, advance her career uh, away from Kurt. That's right. I did think it was funny they're having this conversation and her husband is like right there. <laughs> well, not not right there. I mean, were they... Yeah, they're all on the bridge, yeah. right? And, and like when yeah. they're finished talking, he turns his head and starts talking to her husband. <laughs> and I'm like, really? You just <laughs> talked about all these feelings and stuff in front of your husband? But, well, I mean, come on. The whole idea is ridiculous that 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 that, that a human with a body and everything is going to fall in love with a with a with an energy blob. I mean, he's like, come on. Well, come on really? you you marry somebody for what they are inside, not for oh, what Oh, yeah. Blah 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 blah. Did did they have Did they have some crap like that going on in the original show too? I mean, there were a few times they had uh, energy beings. <laughs> Nah, probably not. I don't know. 
a, I keep thinking of a story where somebody fell in love with a computer. But I don't know if that was a Star Trek franchise or something else. Well, was that was that um, Nurse Chapel and Spock? Is it? No, no. It? I, oh no, no. I, I keep thinking that somebody actually fell in love with like a spirit or something that was in a machine. But I, I might, it might not have been Star Trek. Hmm. I don't remember. But that. they were trying to make the whole like, you know, it doesn't matter that he doesn't have a body. You know, I love him for his mind, not his. Whatever. Pax. What? <laughs> Pax. Oh, okay, I thought you said something else. No, no, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Filthy mind. You said okay, it. So, anyway, so, um, you know, I, something I thought was odd in the drawings, uh, some of the some of the drawings of the Icarus, it seemed like the nacelles were oriented in different positions uh, relative to the rest of the ship. They're, even though it, 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 it was... It looked like a Constitution-class vessel that was modified. Uh, so there were differences in the saucer section um, from the Enterprise, uh, between the Icarus and the Enterprise. But um, they, they looked pretty much the same, but there were some differences. But something that I thought was very odd is that depending upon some of the, some of the uh, drawings... Uh, you know, sometimes the the nacelles seem to be you know up more even with the saucer section. Other times they seem to be a lot lower. Uh, you know, almost you know uh, perpendicular or not perpendicular, but almost flat. Uh, closer, lower down by the uh, engineering section. Mm-hmm. I thought it was very odd in the drawings. Yeah, it was almost like like you know the Voyager nacelles where they could exactly. move. Right. But I don't think they're supposed to. I think it's just inconsistent artwork. Yeah, I think so too. Oh, let's see. Um, yeah, I, I, I thought Kirk and Spock were pretty well rendered, uh, except for the fact that they both look too young, especially Kirk. Uh, looks way too skinny. Um, and of course, Rand. I mean, she's blonde and stuff, but she doesn't look anything like Grace Lee Whitney, in my opinion. Uh, the drawing. Um, and then Scotty, a lot of times it doesn't look anything like James Doohand. Um, right, but in, in regards to Rand, I think she looks more like like the actress who played her than some of the earlier issues of the Marvel stuff that we saw Rand in, where she looked almost like a a cartoon character of a person, where she had like oh. this super hourglass shape. Oh yeah, yeah. But here she looks like a real person, and oh, it's it's a good drawing. Yeah, I mean she's she's even cute. She's she's like a, this little cute cute as a button little uh, little lady, um, and Rand just seemed a little bit more womanly. <laughs> okay. And I've got a uh, I've got an autographed picture of Grace Lee Whitney in her outfit and everything. I got at a Star Trek convention. Yes, I've been to a few, and. Uh, and I compared. I looked. Grace Lee Whitney, you know, and this picture. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah, that. May, I mean, who knows whether the artist just took license or took liberty or if they couldn't get her likeness since she wasn't part of the main cast. Yeah, that's possible. Who knows? There's, there's, there's always legal stuff going on when you deal with a, a licensed franchise like this. Right, but 
Anyway, anything else on the artwork? Because I was wanting to mention something else. Mm. Nope. Go right ahead. So, all right. So, so explain to me the logic here about you go into a white hole and you go into an alternate <laughs> dimension. All right. That, that's that's not the funny part. Wait for it. <laughs> oh, I think that's funny too. But yeah, yeah. So you go into a another dimension following a ship that's gone crazy and wants to destroy anything that it sees. Yeah. So you're worried that it's going to destroy some of these extra dimensional beings. So you that start kind of look like broccoli. Yes. Yeah, so but you start just blindly firing on the ship <laughs> that you're worried may fire on one of these other people, but you're just like blowing everything up trying to hit the Icarus. And you're like doing a million times more damage than the Icarus has ever even started to do in this other dimension. Well, you're assuming. I mean, you don't actually see them blowing up the space broccoli or these uh, I see, space onion rings. I see something exploding. I mean, it shows the phasers ending in this big plume of of explosion. explosion. I mean, phasers <laughs> don't just... Oops! Sorry, space broccoli. <laughs> we didn't mean to hit you. Phasers don't just stop. I mean... It just keeps on going into infinity. Exactly. Point. So I was just like, okay, they haven't even fired anything yet, and you're already destroying everything you can. It just, <laughs> it just didn't make sense. Now, well, what, what, why, why did they have to go to a different dimension in the first place? I, mean, I really what, don't know. Was there a point to that? Uh, maybe the writer, you know, read up on Einstein's theory of white holes and was like, "We're doing it." <laughs> I like it. I mean, uh, I, don't know. I mean, I never heard of a. I've never heard of a white hole before. Well, yeah, but it's not that pop. I, I mean, it's thought... not that popular of an idea. It's all theoretical. I mean, at least a black hole, we have proof that they can exist or do exist. Yes. But and if you go anywhere near it, it'll you'll be crushed into, into uh, nothingness. Yeah, where a white hole is like kind of the opposite, where it truly repels everything, including light. So how could they enter it? I don't know. That was part I was wondering. I mean, Einstein's theory is that if you can enter a white hole, that you could go into another dimension. But what what does that mean, and how would you actually get through it? I mean, I same theory applies to black holes too. That if you can get into the you know into a you know a black hole event horizon, that you could potentially travel through time or whatever, but you'd be crushed while you're doing it. It's all theoretical, but it just white hole is not that popular. Uh, uh, I never heard uh, of thing. It so I was surprised they put it in there, and then they don't even explain it all that well. Yeah, yeah. Confusing. Confusing. And then they also show. I don't know why they felt they needed to do this, but there basically is a shot where uh, Rand uh, realizes she's in trouble after hitting the uh, barrier. Where a the specter of some kind of visual interpretation of her husband comes out of you know just as manifested above the glowing uh, little pyramids and stuff. It's like why they do that? Why they have to do that? I mean, obviously that 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 explains who was on the front cover, but it's like why? Yeah, and it's I, only that one shot, right? It's just the one shot. Yeah, the cover and this one shot, and it's like okay, well you know we could probably get it. That these guys are uh, malevolent little little orbs of light in, in a pyramid that floats. You don't have to show like uh, 
like a menacing human manifestation of of, of them. But well, whatever. that's their ancient, unevolved state. Wow, they still remember that because because like us, eventually uh, they they evolved and left their corporeal bodies. Yeah, but why couldn't they have uh, evolved from? Uh, I don't know, a blob of uh, slime or something. <laughs> We're a blob of slime turning into a blob of light. Doesn't that make a little more sense than them looking like humans? Right. Anyway. Yeah. And yes, I know the explanation from Star Trek Next Gen, but still. <laughs> now, uh, I only have like two more things, and, and one of them's a nitpick, which you're going to use your famous little voice for. But... Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, when they wrote the story, they probably had the idea of the story, and then they named the ship afterwards to kind of be funny, I guess, to play some parallel against Icarus, the mythological character, versus mm-hmm. Icarus, the ship. And but his wax wings. I did think it was funny that, you know, uh, in Star Trek Early Voyages number seven, uh, Pike was flying a a shuttlecraft named Icarus that he crash-landed on that week. Wheat Pam, uh, excuse me, he crash landed oh, right. on that wheat planet. Right. So I just thought it was odd that in both stories they they're telling a story about something crashing. So let's name it Icarus. It makes sense. There's a tie in there. We'll we'll sound well educated. Okay, <laughs> let's go with that. All right, and then the last thing I have is just the idea that these like energy beings would actually be inside of the electronics that govern the you know turbo lifts and things like that and that by destroying the controls of the turbo lift you're actually killing one of the creatures or one of the phantom guys that's inside of it phantonians phantonians whatever one i don't understand why there would actually be a phantonian in the control panel of the turbo lift did you did you get an explanation for that no not really all right and then I'll buy that it's there, and and that just reminded me of there's a there's a novel called Star Wars Truset Bakura, which kind of has the same premise where these aliens were able to pull the Force souls out of human bodies and put them into their machines. So there, these souls were, um, you know, basically the power source for these machines, like their ships and their turbo lifts and things like that. And then there's a, a scene where Luke Skywalker's having to, you know, destroy them so that he can get free. And he's as he's chopping through the the turbo lift doors or the the whatever, he can hear these souls like being released to the, you know, next uh, the next realm or whatever. But anyways, just a lot of that reminded me of this story. Yeah. So I just thought I would go on a tangent and tell you. That's a fine tangent. Thank you, Donovan. <laughs> All right, that's it. What else you got? Hit me. That's it for this one. I don't really have much else to say. Uh. It was uh it was an okay comic, but you know, there's a lot in it that were just kind of dumb. Yeah, so we don't do it all the time and and I always kind of hesitant to do it, but just out of curiosity, your uh five-star scale, what would this one be? Oh, five-star scale. Um uh, two, two and a half. I wouldn't give it a three. Yeah. And then the comic strip? Ah, uh, that had dumb parts too, but I like parts of it. I'll give it a three. Mm. Okay. I think I would give both of them a two. 
A two. Yep. Yep. Well, it, it, they, they weren't fantastic. There's no two ways about that. Right. But. But, anyways, somebody worked hard on them, and, and it's not like I feel like I wasted my life reading them. They were, they were worth a read. <laughs> yes. I just don't think I'll be coming back to them. Nope. No. Nope. It's those gems. You know, you, you you go through some of the some of the chafe so you can get to the wheat. Exactly, and and there'll be some diamonds here pretty soon, I think. Excellent. Maybe, Excellent. maybe next week. Uh, perhaps we had a long run of uh, diamonds with uh, that early voyages series. Yeah. So next so. next week we're going to do Marvel number thirteen and strip number fourteen. So with with strip number fourteen with a different writer and a different art group. Uh, I've looked at the art. I'm not too terribly blown away with it, but I haven't read the story, so right. maybe it'll be good. And, uh, you know, the Marvel ones are really hit or miss. Some of them have been really good. Just these last couple from them haven't quite been so. Exactly. Yeah, they, they really have been hit or miss. But um, And as far as art versus story, I mean, give me a good story every time. Yeah, absolutely. If uh, I had to have one or the other. 100% agree with you. And and especially with the strips, I mean, because you're, you're, who knows how co- good quality the, the that artwork's going to be printed out on a on a newspaper in a mass scale. So, it has to be basic art, art anyway. So you got to give it, uh, give it a little leeway. So, uh, just in closing, March of 1981, uh, this Marvel issue was the only Star Trek thing that came out. There was no other. Uh, movie or novel or anything like that. I guess they were probably already making Star Trek 2, I would imagine, at this point. But as far as the public goes, there was nothing new for us to see. Hmm. So, alright, so in saying that, uh, I guess we'll bid everybody adieu and we'll talk to you next week. Uh, and excellent timing, too, because you're definitely going silent on us. Nice. So, uh, thanks everybody for joining us. And we'll see you next time on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.